Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. It's such a blessing to be together this morning, isn't it? For some of you it is. <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but I always look forward to Sundays. It's a day to reset. Anyone else, their week get away from them this past week? And yet we get to see once again what God is doing in our brothers and sisters in Christ. We get to reset and refocus. Hear what God has to say to us and also to just enjoy each other's presence. So, so glad to have you all here this morning. Um, we are having a meeting right after service. Uh, I know it says 1 p.m., but we're going to go right into it, um, have a brief conversation or two, and then make your way downstairs to the Fellowship Hall. This is for... If there were a medical emergency in this room today or some other time, would you be one of the people that would want to help and step into that? Whether you have the skills or whether you wish you had the skills. So it's not gonna be so much a training so much as walking through what resources we already have, what resources, where they are, so that you can make sure. So if you're certified and, and experienced. We especially want to make sure that you are aware of what resources we have in the church facility. Also, we want to start documenting who we actually have that's certified in things, who's experienced in things, and who would also be interested in getting some more training, getting CPR certified or other things, especially for our children's ministry and others. But we definitely want to be able to know who we're supposed to go to uh, if there is a medical emergency. So, that's what that is after service. So uh, please do join us. It will be a brief meeting. We'll walk through what's going on, have a sign-up sheet so we can start documenting that. And we'll give you a brief overview of kind of how to use a few of the things that we have in case that's necessary. That's a QR code for something. What's that for? Oh, Sunday school. Yes. Okay. So if you need that, it's up there, and uh, we'll put that back up towards the end. So last week, oh, sorry, we got a Psalms women's group, September 14th. You know as much as I do now. Yikes, that's not the... There we go. Psalms there. And chosen October 1st. These are all in your email, of course, too. So please do be paying attention to your emails. Every so often people say, I didn't know about those things. So check your emails. They're there. Uh, take, take some time every week to uh, make sure you are aware of that. Or have your spouse do it for you. I don't, I don't know. Whichever is easier. But we have a bonfire night coming up as well. We're going to need some volunteers. And we're looking at October 27th. 
All right, so last week we had Elder Don sharing with us 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. And we're actually going to be continuing on in this mini-series, this two-week mini-series, and you'll have Pastor Michael again back with us next week. But this little mini-series that Don and I are doing is focusing in on the outward Christian life. That we need to actually have a defense, as we were seeing last week. Uh, Apologetics, giving an answer for the hope that we have within you. You should have hope within you. And if you have hope within you, then that should be coming out. And you should be able to explain why we have this hope. Amen? Because the world desperately needs hope, doesn't it? Especially hope that's actually grounded in something. Not a politician, not an empty promise that's going to be violated a year later or several years later. We get told certain things will give us security or meaning or purpose or happiness. And these things are all lies. And we found, many of us have found them out the hard way. You put your hope and your trust in these things and you found them to be empty. And so the world desperately needs hope. And so Don was sharing with us last week about how we need to be able to answer basic questions. Apologetics is not giving an apology for being Christian. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for Jesus. I'm sorry for his commandments. I'm sorry for how the church has behaved. I'm sorry for apologetics is to to argue on behalf of, to make a defense. Now... We don't necessarily want to defend everything, right? There have been issues in church history. You know, don't, don't defend what is not right. But of the faith, where does your hope come from? We can explain that rationally. So today we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. If you have your Bibles, um, you can flip open to that. We'll also have scripture on the screen here, but if it's in front of you, you can always kind of go back and forth uh, whenever is convenient for you so you can see what's ahead and what's behind. Always test to see, is that what the scripture really says? Is that what the passage is about? Whenever you hear somebody speaking, just because they're standing up on a little platform, don't be like, just because they're higher up, they must be right, but rather... Think for yourself. Think for, um, think through the scriptures. Wrestle with the scriptures, of course. What we're going to see here is how we should be living this outward life. So, and that is much smaller on the tiny screen, isn't it? But uh, let's read through this, uh, and you can follow along as best you can with that. It'll be much larger as we break this down. Yet do this, speaking of giving a defense for the hope that we have, yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for the sins once for all the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. 
And because I'm all about spoiling things, here's what we're going to be looking at in this passage. That we should conduct ourselves with gentleness, with respect for people, right? But we should keep godly behavior. We should persevere, even when times get tough. And we should accept God's purpose for our lives. Have you ever been in a sailboat on like a lake? Because we're not near the ocean. Uh, some of you have been on the ocean. Cool. Good for you. Those are big sailboats. I'm talking a little sailboat, or maybe you're on a rowboat, or maybe you got into a kayak or a canoe, and you, you put into the water, right? There's a sense of freedom, isn't there? You can kind of go this way. You can kind of go that way. We're so used to driving on roads where it's just like the road goes this way, so I go this way. And the road's going this way, there. You get on paths and you walk through the woods, you got to kind of stay on the path, right? We have trees here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So if you don't stay on the path, you walk into a bush or you walk into a tree. And it doesn't work. <laughs> you need to stay on the path. So we're used to kind of following paths. And yet when you get on a lake... It's kind of a choose-your-own-adventure, isn't it? You can, you can follow the coastline all around. You can go straight across to that side of the lake. You can go to that side of the lake. Even with a sailboat, you can, you can tack into the wind, right? So you can go wherever you want. Life is like this. We really can go any direction we want to, or at least we can attempt to. If you've ever been on a sailboat, you know how that works, right? You're attempting to go that way, but uh, maybe you're being more successful or less successful at that. But the question then is, which direction should we go in life? What is our purpose? What is our direction? A lot of times we feel trapped. But if we start looking at things, we often find that we're often trapped by the decisions that we've made. Relationships that we've formed, houses that we've bought, <laughs> rental agreements that we've entered into, jobs we've taken. And you may feel trapped where you are, but... You're kind of where you are because of the decisions that have led you to that. And just like a sailboat, if you start setting off in one direction, you start veering off course just a little bit at first, it means you're going to end up somewhere completely different. In 1 Peter 3.15 that we saw last week, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy. Ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. We need to share our hope, right? That's the first thing. We need to share our hope. What, what other purpose do we have on this earth? If, if we weren't here to share our hope, then why are we here? If you think God has you here for funsies, Ask some of the folks in here who have health conditions, who have been through the ringer recently. Ask them how fun life is. Life stops being fun, often. And we find out that we're not here for our enjoyment, we're here for something else. We're here so that in the midst of our struggles, other people can see the hope of God shining through us. We start realizing that the suffering and the difficulties of life are not some strange thing that's coming upon us, but rather it's giving us an opportunity to accomplish our purpose, whether we want to or not. The grace of God 
drags us kicking and screaming sometimes into our purpose, even when we have tried to go astray. So as we get into the passage here, some of your Bibles will have the first part of this verse in verse 15. This is the Christian Standard Bible and some of the translations actually split this verse differently. It's okay. The monks, hundreds and hundreds of years after the Bible was written, decided to put numbers in there. And uh, sometimes they disagree with each other on where those numbers belong. But it's all right. We're going to pick up either at the end of verse 15 or at the beginning of verse 16, depending on translation. Yet do this, defending our hope, with gentleness and reverence. Keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct, or speak evil of your good conduct, right, in Christ, they will be put to shame. So, this first little batch here is speaking of us living a gentle life. We'll get into what that means. But living a respectful life. Having good behavior or in some translations, a good conscience, right? A good conscience. Kind, gentle, right? Respectful, but also not compromising everything just to get along with people. So gentleness. Summed up, be kind to people. So often we can say a truthful thing or an important thing in several different ways, can't we? We can say it in a nice way. We can say it in a mean way. We can say it in a good tone of voice. We can say it in a bad tone of voice. Some of you have spouses that you're still trying to educate on that, right? Some of you are the spouse trying to be educated, right? What did I say? I said nothing wrong. Yeah, it's how we said it, right? And we all struggle with that. Sometimes it's just easier just to be frank. Sometimes it's easier just to... We don't mean to be mean, but we are. We need to choose to be kind. So one commentator wrote it this way uh, with the don't be mean said, we should behave with sympathy and with humility. It's easier not to care about other people's feelings. It's easier not to think about other people's perspective. And yet we need to, don't we? We need to humble ourselves and say, it's not about me. I need to make this about this person. Not, I did my duty, I said what I needed to say, I shared the gospel with this person, told them they were going to hell, and they got all huffy, don't know why. Is that the, are those the words you used? Because that's kind of harsh. Is it truthful? Maybe. But we don't win people into heaven by insulting them. Not generally speaking. Some people, you need to hit them with a sledgehammer verbally. But most people, as the saying goes, you attract more flies with honey than with vinegar, right? Before we have hard conversations, 
And if you've been through this landmine field before, for us less emotionally aware, just recollect all the times you've had conversations that people got really, really irritated with you or hurt or upset with you. And just every time you come near one of those kind of kind, kinds of conversations, just start walking slower. <laughs> Think about your next step, right? Um, whether it's confrontations or when they're, you're giving someone advice. <laughs> we, can, we all have the ability to learn. Some people will, will just throw out there, well, that's just the way I am. Well, there's good news for you. Jesus saves people like you and me and makes us into better people. <laughs> that's why we gather here together to hear the word of God is so that we can leave change, so that we can learn and grow and become better. Not hiding behind the conversation and behind the idea that I'm just that way. I'm just a mean person. Or I'm just a very frank person and it's everyone else's problem. Can we have the humility to say, maybe I'm not wrong, but maybe there's a better way of doing this. Being kind. Now, the second part there is uh, in this translation is reverence, right? Now, it's not talking about like reverence towards God. It's talking more about respect, us having respect for people. Have you ever met someone who's being very kind to you, but you can tell that they have zero respect for you? They're not listening to a word you say. They're being very nice. They're saying nice things, but you can tell they're not engaging with the conversation. They don't respect, like maybe you're coming up and asking for advice in a specific situation and they just kind of don't answer the question. They don't even enter into that conversation. They just keep saying nice things about you. Oh, you're just so smart. You're, you, I'm sure you'll figure it out. <laughs> we can say nice things, but be very disrespectful to people. Showing that we're not listening. And really that can come off as flattery, right? So there is a kindness that is flattery, a kindness that is truly arrogant. There's a kindness that can be worshipful, but yet empty. Have you experienced all of those? Someone can be super kind to you because they've put you on such a high pedestal that it's not really you on that pedestal anymore. It's their imagination of you. They don't really want to take the time to get to know you. They just have a picture of you. Pastors uh, deal a lot with this. Um, people in the public eye deal with this. People don't really want to get to know you. They just, they want to create a caricature of you and once they've decided who you are, they're done. And they may be very nice about it, but it can get awfully lonely on that pedestal because you realize that you just have to keep up this facade, this fake front. This may be your spouse. This may be a significant other in your life. And you feel that this kindness, you feel like you should be appreciative in some regard, but then on the other hand, you realize they're not really being nice to me. They're just being nice to themselves. 
But there's also this arrogance, right? Where, where have you ever tried sharing truth with someone who is uh, theologically loosey-goosey? You share the word of God and you want to engage with them in a substantive conversation about the truth of God. And they're just like, oh, that's nice for you. What do you mean nice for me? <laughs> is this true or is this not true? They're so set on what they know to be true that they don't even, they don't even listen to you. They don't even listen, engage with what you're saying. They, they don't disagree with you. They just don't even hear you. There's this arrogance. They're in this ivory tower of, of, of their worldview and there's nothing that can touch it. And a lot of times this is once again done because they don't think you really have anything constructive to say. And we can do that to other people too. There is a kindness that's truly arrogant. I have all the answers. Nobody else has any answers. So I won't really listen to them. We can do that as we're sharing the gospel too, can't we? They're an unbeliever. They don't know anything. So I won't ask any questions. So I won't listen. They don't know what's going on in their heart. I know what's going on in their heart. It's arrogant. But we're being kind about it. We're being so sweet. Oh, bless your heart. You're, you're just not a believer. If you were a believer, then you'd understand. In everyday conversations, it goes more like this a lot of times, right? Oh, when you're older, you understand. You've just dismissed everything they've said without even engaging with it. We're to be, we're supposed to be giving an answer for the hope that was within us. We're supposed to be gentle. We're supposed to be kind. But we're also supposed to respect the people in front of us. Are they a human being created in the image of God or not? Are you the only one who's created in the image of God? Are you the only one who can think and reason and come up with good ideas? What about the person in front of you? Do we come to them looking for that spark of what God is at work within them? If God can work within you and I, I promise you he can work within that person that you're talking to. And if you listen to what the Holy Spirit is doing within that person, you'll find a much better way of sharing the gospel with that person. And we carry that over to all aspects of life, right? Some pastors or preachers or, or teachers can get to that point where they're just not listening to anyone. Because only they can interpret this word of God. Only they can go up on the high mountain and receive the word from God. And you, we've seen that too, haven't we? And we all hate it. <laughs> but we can act like that sometimes too. We need to be respectful It's infuriating to be disrespected this way. And we just don't hear anything anymore from that person. If someone is unkind to us, will we listen to anything they have to say to us? They won't listen to anything. Uh, they won't hear anything you have to say until they hear how much you care. Or I, forget, I just butchered that. But you know, it's true. If someone doesn't care about you, do you give a flying flip what they have to say? Not really. And we, we just ascertain that. Do they, are they kind? Do they care about us? 
Two, do they respect us? If they don't, again, we don't really care what they have to say. Men are particularly strong filters of this, right? Um, a lot of church programs have a struggle to get men into the church building and get men engaged in, in church activities and such because men find that the church is very kind, very warm and friendly, but there's no substance there. There's no challenge. There's no actual engagement with ideas and, and principles. There's nothing at stake. Everyone's just showing up at a building and being nice to each other. Woo. Wife, go ahead. <laughs> I'm going to stay at home. And, and so many churches around the country, that's, that's what it is. And men just kind of like, no, that's all fake. There's nothing there. There's nothing of substance. It's a social club. Do we respect people? That means maybe speaking truthfully, maybe directly, not hiding people from the truth. See, we're not trying to trick people into the kingdom of God, right? We're not playing a bait and switch game. When people realize that you've done the bait and switch, they're gone. How many of us have walked into a sales pitch or something else? You're getting your freebie of whatever, and they say, oh, no, 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 there's no, there's no catch, there's no catch, there's no catch. And you get there, and then there's a catch. <laughs> The, the trap has clamped down on And if you're ever like me, you're just kind of like, you know, I knew this was going to happen. I, I walked into this worried about this, but then I told myself, no, it's not. And yet there it was. Is that the way we are? Um, when we have services that are a little bit bigger, like Christmas service, Easter service, you'll notice that this service doesn't change all that much. And eh, we do a little bit different, you know. People dress up a little bit more. But we don't really change things. I mean, we don't have like a helicopter dropping Easter eggs out <laughs> on the lawn or something like that, right? We don't do anything like super crazy because that's not who we are. That's not what we do normally, right? It's, it's okay to have special events, but we don't usually do those special events on a Sunday morning in the service because we don't want to make people feel like we're doing a bait and switch. We want to respect people. This is who we are. This is what we do. You can see the changed lives in the, in the pews around you as you go out to a picnic and you talk with people. You can see the changed lives. But if you don't believe in it, if you don't see it, then we're not trying to fool you. We're trying to convince, not trick. Then finally, it says here that we are, um, yet do this with gentleness and reverence, right? Keeping a clear conscience. We are to be truthful. Keep a clear conscience. Now, we're to be truthful in kind of two ways. Truthful in the way that we're speaking, right? If, if, if you're lying or you're changing things or compromising truth, your conscience is going to be kind of like, this is wrong. If you stand up on the stage and you say, well, everyone's going to heaven, and that's not true, hopefully you feel convicted about that. 
You need to speak the truth. But not only do we need to speak the truth, but we need to live the truth. What good is it for us to, to stand up and say something and then live a different way? If we're teaching something to anybody, I don't care if they're three years old or 300 years old. What you say to them should be true and should not be hypocritical. Now, it's not to say that we don't say that there are standards, even though we ourselves fail to meet those standards. No one in this room can answer every single question an unbeliever might be able to ask you. Doesn't mean you can't be truthful with them. You can share with them what you do know. What's the, what's the thing you know the best? Your story, right? We all know our story. You all know where you've been. You all know kind of how you've journeyed to where you are. You kind of know how you kind of get from there to here. We can always share our story. The best gospel witnesses oftentimes start with questions about the other person's life, the other person's challenges, and then move into you sharing from your experience, your story. People, once you've heard their story, are often very interested in hearing your story. Once they've shared their struggles and their um, inability to gather some answers on things, are often willing to listen to your potential answers to the questions. If you've listened, if we've listened, if we've been kind and gentle, and we've been respectful. We all know when there's the, the person who's silent because they're thinking about the next thing they're going to say, right? You see their eyes kind of wandering a little bit as they, as they prepare their next statement. They're not really listening to what you have to say. You're really just taking time, turns talking at each other. And that's pretty unproductive. But being truthful. It's us being that respectful, but then also having something to say. If it's not true in your life, how can it be true in their life? If you're still trying to figure out how to get your life in order, probably not life coach material just yet, are we? I mean, we're all in a process, right? We've all figured out some things, and so we can help other people. We can show people the next few steps, and we can all do something. But are we being transformed? If your life has not been impacted by your walk with Christ, if your life has not been impacted by the gospel, is it really worth sharing that gospel? Because it hasn't changed you yet. We need to allow the word of God to change us. And then finally, well, not finally, <laughs> next. It's like a preacher, right? I, I got to say finally and, and, and rope you back in. Oh, it's almost over. Perseverance. We need to persevere. One of my favorite passages in scripture is Romans chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. He will repay each one according to his works. 
eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality. I was supposed to have that slide. I thought it wasn't there. Uh, sorry about that. First Peter three seventeen, And then we'll get to Romans. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Don was talking about that last week. A good bit, right? We can do what's good, and we can suffer for it. Should we stop doing the good then? What happens if the government says you should stop doing what God has commanded you? Should we stop? What happens if they throw us in prison? What happens if they drag out one of our elders and beat us out in front of the church? Should we stop? Go ask the church in China. Go ask the church in India. Uh, go ask the church in many places in the world and ask them if they should stop. And their resounding answer and Christians throughout history would say, no, we must do what God has commanded us. We need to persevere even when times get difficult. Because perhaps it's God's will for us to suffer as we're doing good. If we were all benefiting from showing up, if everyone here got $1,000 for showing up here Sunday morning, every Sunday morning you show up, you get $1,000. How many people would show up? <laughs> we need a bigger building, right? <laughs> we need a bigger budget for that, but we'd also need a bigger building, right? Everyone would start showing up. And then one person in the, the congregation would look at the other person and go, I know why you're here. You're here for the money. And they'd probably be right. Our influence as a church would expand rapidly. So many people would be coming into the building. But they'd look around and they'd be surrounded by people who are just there for the money. For the good things that they're going to get for being there. What if people come into the church here today? If we have visitors here or if we have visitors next week, would they look around and say, oh, I know why they're here. They're, get, they're here to get something. Oh, their life is rough, and so they're praying that things will get better. They're here for the Christian counseling they're going to get. They're here for the activities that their children go to. They're here for the youth group that their children go to. They're here to get stuff. It becomes a whole different thing where you have to risk imprisonment to show up at a meeting. What are you there to get now? There's only one real answer there. It's you're there to get more of God. People ask the question, why would you risk all of that in order to show up at this meeting or to go out and help these people that you're not supposed to help? First century church, they would go out and they'd rescue babies that were left out to die. That was definitely frowned upon. They weren't supposed to be doing that, and yet they did it anyway. When plagues came, real plagues came to the cities, and everyone fled to their country estates, the Christians went into the cities to care for the sick and dying. Christians have throughout history borne up under persecution and flourished because 
suddenly everyone knew exactly why people were gathering together. And it wasn't because they were getting something out of it. They weren't adding Jesus onto their already prosperous life. This wasn't just another cool activity to be a part of. This wasn't another club. This is their life. And they're willing to sacrifice anything to be there. You surround yourself with a few of those people. And you can't help but be changed. We all know people who are passionate about stuff, right? They can suck you into their passion, can't they? Whether it's a sports team or, or a hobby. Uh, if you've been a- anything like me, you, you get on YouTube and you end up watching these videos about things that you're just like, why am I watching a video about X? It's because the person on that video is really passionate about whatever it is. And it's inspiring to see them so passionate about... Uh, the other day I was watching a, uh, some guy building this thing out of Legos. Oh man, he was super, super serious. I don't care about Legos. But it was his passion that just like, wow, that's, that's kind of cool. I'm not going to go build anything out of Legos, but, you know, it's kind of cool that you're wasting your entire life doing that. <laughs> yeah, I think the title of the video was like, um, the Lego factory is going to uh, make me broke or something like that. So not only all his time, but all his money has gone into Legos or whatever. But if we crack open our lives, our bank accounts, our calendars, what are we going to see? Well, you're here on Sunday morning, so obviously that's some of the time of your schedule. But is God really the chief priority of our lives? We're going to get into more of that, but that's persevering. I should look at my notes more. Skipping stuff. But perseverance. Um... I know you can't tell it by my physique, but uh, I used to run cross country. So I, used to, I wasn't like the fastest guy on the cross country team in high school, but you know, I could keep running for quite a while. Never ran a marathon, but we have some folks in the church that do marathons and half marathons. And it's fantastic. You see up there, we have this endurance runner or this sprinter model that's running for... 15 feet just to get this picture. Who knows? But in running, there isn't an award at a marathon for the person who went the first mile the fastest, is there? It's the person who gets to the finish line the first, right? You can start really well, but if you know anything about long distance running, oftentimes the people that start the fastest end up at the back. Because they burn out. They don't pace themselves, right? It's a rookie mistake is is burning yourself out too fast. You feel really good because you're at the front of the pack. But how many of us are like that in our spiritual walks? We start running. We start jumping into everything. But a week later, a month later, a year later, five, ten years later, what happened? In scripture, we have this picture of running a race. Peter um, 
We have just so many of these. We have the author of Hebrews uses this example. Paul uses this, this example again and again and again of a, of a, a race, right? And it's not to those who start well, but those who finish well. Now, that can be an encouragement for you, can it? For those who started off a little slow, maybe stumbled a few times so far, there's still the opportunity to finish well. But there's also a warning to people who may have started well. You may look back to how you walked with Christ before, things that you accomplished for the kingdom of God before, you were very active in the kingdom of God, but now maybe not so much. We've all seen people fall by the wayside. There are times when this church was much larger. We had packed two services and everything like that. Um, we have very few people from those days that are still attending our church. Now, most of those have ended up at other churches, and that's, you know, uh, that is what it is. But how many of those people aren't walking with the Lord anymore? Could we have gone through the, through the back when we had pews, could we have gone through the pews and started predicting who was going to fall away and who was not? Who was going to grow bitter, angry, resentful? Who was going to just get tired and go start chasing after other things? Those who are going to make really bad choices and never recover from those bad choices. Can we do it today? Don't do that today. <laughs> Don't do that today, okay? Uh, but how, how do we know? The only true predictor is we're going to see in five years. We're going to see in 10 years. The people that are continuing to grow. The people who are continuing to run. When hard times come, when it's God's will for us to suffer for what we're doing that is good, will we keep persevering? And that's what brings us my favorite verse, right? The Lord will repay each one according to his works. Eternal, he will give eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality. We often get told that we're not supposed to seek for glory or honor. But we are. You're supposed to do it the right way. You're supposed to seek for it by doing good with persistence. It's not that we're supposed to just show up. We're supposed to show up consistently. And I'm not saying like necessarily church attendance, but... Showing up for the things of the kingdom of God. The things that we believe in, do we persist in? Or do we get tired and burn out and show that we never really believed in those things in the first place? Do we have that same purpose? And we're going to see here in verse 18. We'll just pop that up. For Christ also suffered for, the, for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. 
And then just so you can kind of see where he's going with that, he kind of goes on this little aside, right? That, he starts talking about Christ. He starts talking about other things. But um, for Christ also suffered. So there's the example. So what's the point of his example? He, he finally gets to it here. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same understanding because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin in order to live the remaining time in the flesh no longer for human desires, but for God's will. Christ came to the earth to save sinners. That's God's will. He came to die on the cross. He didn't come to eat and drink and be merry. He didn't come to do a bunch of cool miracles. He didn't come to share cool parables. All that he taught was really just re regurgitating the Old Testament, really. I mean, he chewed it up a little bit and spat it out a little differently, but he didn't really change it. He just explained it. He didn't come here to teach. He came to take our sins upon himself and to die in our place. Since he did that, Christians, the word just means that we're little Christs. We're imitators of Jesus. We're little Jesuses walking around. That's what we should be. So Jesus' purpose was to die in the place of sinners. So we should take on the same understanding, the same purpose, so that we won't be changing, chasing after our human desires anymore, but rather for God's will. So that brings us to the question, is God's purpose our purpose? What gets you up in the morning? You say, all the stressful things I need to do. <laughs> what gets us up in the morning? Why do we keep moving forward? Is it because someone's kicking us out of bed? Is it somebody holding us accountable? And we're just trying to survive another day with as little pain and as little suffering as we possibly can? A lot of people living like that. Or do we have a mission? Do we have a purpose? Getting back to what I was saying before, if we crack open your calendar or your time schedule, or we get your phone to start tracking what you're actually doing during the day, would it become clearly evident to everyone who looked at that time accounting that you're about God's will on this earth? I'm not talking about just not doing bad stuff or at least not doing the really bad stuff. But rather, what are you actually doing? What are you actually accomplishing? Now, Pastor Michael's gonna be sharing next week about how our workplaces are God's will for us. Everyone's not supposed to go and become a pastor. They're not. If we all became pastors, how much would we all get paid? It's like a math question. <laughs> um, 
well, no one would make any money, so therefore no one would give anything to the church, and therefore no one would get paid anything. <laughs> so we'd all be full-time, unpaid. Now that just doesn't work, does it? That's just, that math doesn't work. We all are about the kingdom of God if we're on mission for him. But that looks different in each one of us. I'm single. Me being about the kingdom of God looks differently than those of you who are married. Those of you who are married, it looks different than those of you married with kids. That looks different than those of you who are unmarried with kids. It looks different than those of you who are retired and your kids visit every so often when they need something. (laughs) The kingdom of God isn't me telling you what ministry is the most important, because children's ministry is the most important. Um, It's about us each finding our place in the kingdom of God and doing that with gusto. Not waiting to be asked to do something. Not waiting for the fifth time to be asked to do something but rather us asking how we can serve or finding those places that we can serve. I was uh, thinking about writing a little thing about how to climb to the top of any organization. Uh, And uh, my suggestion is this, walk up to whoever's in charge and say, I want to help. I believe in the mission of this organization. How can I help? Because you know how often leaders hear that? (laughs) People walking up and writing a blank check of, put me in, coach. What do I need to do? What do you need done? It's rare. But you see that people who walk up and write that blank check show that they've been in charge before. (laughs) Because they know how to speak directly to the person who is under the pressure to staff different ministries and, 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 and fill all these roles and stuff like that. Um, ministry leaders who are sitting here, team leaders, you all know that most, like 80% of your job is like just trying to put people in the right places and, you know. So how, how do we, how do we move forward the kingdom of God? Us becoming more willing to just do whatever God wants us to do. Now that may mean that when someone stands up here and says, we have needs in the children's ministry, which we do, it may mean that you say that I, I want to help with the children's ministry if I'm available, but I have these other things I'm supposed to do. Um, I'm involved in this other ministry in the church or, or whatever it is. Or maybe God's called you to go be a missionary in Zanzibar. If you're called to be a missionary in Zanzibar, obviously you're not going to be able to help out with the children's ministry Here. You can't be in two places at once. It's just not possible. But is that really how we live? Is your purpose God's purpose? I gave the example at the beginning. The worship team can come up when you're ready. Um, We are closing at the end here. Open up with this example of being on a little boat on a lake. You can go any way you want to. The only constraints that you have really are the, some of the commitments and the decisions that you've made to get, get you to here. You can get out of a lot of those commitments by just suffering the consequences of it. 
Um, you can quit your job. The problem is when you quit your job, they quit paying you. That's uh, funny how that works. There can be consequences for what we're doing. But if we're about what God has called us to be, our purpose will be his purpose. We won't have an agenda. We're not trying to accomplish something that he isn't. We'll persevere as we're seeking to accomplish that. We're going to do it truthfully. We're going to hold to the truth. Hold to the good conduct. But we're going to do it respectfully too. And whenever possible, we're going to be as kind as possible too. That's what we see here in 1 Peter. How to live this personal life outwardly. It must begin personally, but then it must become outward. It must lead you to something. If your personal life just leads you in circles, there's something wrong with it. If the engine inside your car doesn't move your car and just makes noises, there's something wrong with it. If it doesn't result in the car moving forward or moving backwards, there's no movement. What good is it? And are we moving in the direction that God would have us to move? If we're not moving the right direction, you're driving down the highway, suddenly your car decides to jump into the ditch because a wheel fell off. That's a problem. If we're not moving the direction that God wants us to move, that's sometimes be even more dangerous than not moving at all. Live with gentleness. Live with respect for others. Live truthfully with a clear conscience. Persevere in it with the right purpose. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just lift ourselves up to you that you would move us in your direction. Help us to move our lives into agreement with your purpose. That we wouldn't be about our own purposes, but we're chasing our human desires, but rather your will that you have laid out in your scriptures for us. But we pray these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.